In Choctaw tradition, the month of like what sort of equates to be November is called Big Hunger Month. So of course we're going to have an important meal, and of course we're going to show gratitude. Mother, mother, are you listening? Just a phone call to ease your mind. Hello and welcome to Mother Mother, a podcast from the mom friends you need right now. Because this shit is hard. I'm your host, Emily Ferris a writer and married mom of two in Kansas City. You can find me here every Tuesday talking with a different mom friend about the experience of being a mother. While Mother Mother is technically in the parenting category, this is not a show about kids. It's a show about what it's like to be a mom right now, which in some ways is universal and, as we are learning here every week, is really very different for all of us, too. If you ever want to continue the conversation after the episode, you can join us in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash mother mother podcast, where the password, which is a new thing, the password is tired. You can also find more information on the show and my guests anytime at mothermotherpodcast.com. All right, now we're going to get into this week's conversation, which I carried on while I was in the depths of this cold I got from my kids, of course. My guest today is Sasha Guian Anderson, a communications consultant and newly elected school board member in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Sasha, welcome to Mother Mother. Thank you so much. It's so nice to, quote, meet you. I feel like I know you. I do know you through Facebook groups, and now we're Facebook friends, but this is the first time we're face-to-face, even though it's through a screen. I know. It's so great. Thank you so much for having me. And it's really good to like see your face moving. When I see you on the internet, I see lots of pictures of your adorable kids. You have three. Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, it's just three. (laughs) They're very close in age, right? They're pretty close. Yeah, they're um, eight, six, and three. So you're two vaccines down. I am two vaccines down. And what I hear from my researcher friends is, I mean, this is not, you know, gospel, but that hopefully in the new year, early in the new year, that our little ones will be able to be vaccinated. So I'm so. super excited. I know my Charlie, my youngest is he'll be two in February. So if, if it's like two and up, even we would be okay. Yeah. It's uh, my husband and I just got our boosters oh, a couple weeks ago. And then our five-year-old got his shot yesterday. <gasps> Yay. Yeah. Which will be by the time this airs, it will be last week, but right. yeah, it's, it's very cool. Exciting. That's so yeah. great. And he's usually afraid of shots, but he was so brave and so excited, which I think a lot of kids are now. They are ready. Mm -hmm. They're ready to be done with all this. Oh, totally. They've been asking when the vaccine's going to be ready for months. So I'm so happy. So happy. So you have three kids who are close in age. Mm -hmm. What was your lockdown like? Um, It was extremely chaotic. It's, It's sort of we've mellowed now that the kids are mostly back in school. It's mellowed a little bit, but you know, everyone was remote. I was starting into a new sort of career. I had jumped from working in um, training and development to just communication. And um, I took on a bunch of clients. And then of course, there was (laughs) a lockdown. My kids were doing remote school. So my husband worked for a grocery store. And he ended up actually, he first took a leave of absence and then ended up resigning. Um, because it was just, it felt really dangerous having him in that environment. And 
I was I was nervous just sending my husband to the grocery store once a week for groceries. Yeah, right, exactly. And he was there every day. And so and then the kids needed a lot more support with school. So um so he came home. We actually ended up um homeschooling our two oldest and um PBS kids homeschooled our youngest. And same. <laughs> Charlie's Great. best friend is Elmo. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hildy's a Daniel Tiger girl. And then when the kids returned in person, we re-enrolled um, the kids. And Winnie's in this like hybrid homeschool um, public school program where it's three half days a week. And then the rest of the time she's at home and I'm like arguably homeschooling her. Um, it's a little a little unschooling, a little homeschooling. Um, but yeah, so we just kind of found like a new normal. Mike ended up going back to the, um, he works for Whole Foods. He ended up going back to Whole Foods um, in a new position. And we've kind of hit a stride a little bit. Um, but it's obviously still like just super nerve wracking all the time. Yeah, we we had a similar, my husband was furloughed from his, he was a brand ambassador to brewery and was mm-hmm. furloughed in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I, as a freelancer who did a lot of work for clients via the internet anyway, yeah. creating content, uh, got really busy creating yep. work for people like, oh my God, we need to put out content that speaks to people right now. Right. And so my husband really took on the role of of the stay-at-home parent yep. while I tried to lock myself in my office and focus as much as I could, even though I, you know, had like the anxieties of a pandemic and I had a three week old baby when we first went into lockdown and, uh, yeah, but he's, my husband has really embraced the, he's, and he's gone back to work part-time at a different brewery, Okay, but he's really embraced the, the stay at home dad, like, um, part, you know, taking on that default parent role or at least much more than he did before the pandemic. Right. Totally. I mean, Mike has been doing that a lot. And like, even though he's returned back to work full time, there are things like Girl Scouts, for example, that he's like taken the lead on that he still continues to take the lead on. There's still like, obviously that like emotional labor sort of gender. I mean, at least for us, like, even though he's super active and involved, there is like a lot of default labor that falls to me. Yeah. Cause there's things they just don't think about. Yeah. Like, oh, they, I need to change out the the pants in the baby's dresser because he can't wear 18-month pants anymore. Like, Kyle would just put him in small pants for the next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the one who switches it out and washes everything and, you know, switches out all the clothes. Totally. And it's not like a conscious thing. It's not like they're, like, trying to be obstinate or, like, missing things. It's just this sort of, like, socialized thing, I think, that's yeah. happened with, um, with a lot of, like, hetero partnerships. Yeah, it's created some contention for us because I am kind of a control freak and I was mm-hmm. so used to being the one, you know, have, doing all of the emotional labor and logistical work. And now that Kyle is working less, he wants to do more of that and he wants to have a, a bigger role. And so there are things where I will kind of be like, okay, we'll do this and do this. He's like, let me, like, let me have some control. Like, let me yeah. take the lead on this. But then also there are things that when I step back, they slip through the cracks because he's not used to doing it. Right. And so then it's like I have to I, I gently 
lead him in the right direction without being a control freak because there are things that I would love to let go of. Like I wish that I, like the doctor's office still calls me, even though we've tried to move it to his phone number. And the school still calls me first, even though we put his phone number first, even uh, before this, I always put his phone number first because he answers his phone and I don't. Yeah. But the school still calls mom first. Right. Totally. And like, I'm in front of my email all day long and he's not, he's like physically doing things at work and he has a separate like work email that he only uses while he's physically at work. And, um, which sounds like glorious, like you leave work yeah. and you leave your email. Um, I mean, he also has to go to work at four 30 in the morning, so I'm not oh, like God. jealous, okay. but, um, but it means he's not checking his personal email as often. So like when somebody doesn't get a response from him immediately, then they reach out to me, you, you know? And so, and like just this balance where I'm like, I want you to be doing these things. He wants to be doing these things, but they don't necessarily fit into our individual workflows. Yeah. The way that it's tricky. It is so tricky. And we're just not used to, I'm not used to like being the person who goes to work, even though I'm working at home, mm-hmm. like I was the one who was at home and Kyle is the one who went to work. Yep. And now, even though I'm going to work at home, it's just a weird role reversal. Yep. I'm actually building a shed in my backyard and converting it to an office. So exciting. So no little toddler will come and rattle my door handle and yell, mama home, mama home, mama home, right. mama home. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, oh my gosh. How glorious would it be to not have my three-year-old walk in on my therapy session? I actually make everyone leave the house when I have therapy. That's smart. Yeah. And my, my, my toddler is back in his three day a week daycare school and my kindergartner is, is in kindergarten full time now. That's great. Yeah. Though, of course, there are the, the exposure weeks where everybody's home. I know. Oh my gosh. We had like back to back where we had three weeks with at least one kid home. And it was right like in October, right before the campaign season. So our election day is November 2nd and just like really wild. Everything's like really amped up. I can't afford to take time away. Mike can't afford to take time away. And the juggling act that we did, I don't even know how we did it. It was like, there was some magic happening or something. And PBS kids. Thank you, PBS kids. A lot of PBS kids. Oh my God. I keep trying to remind myself when these uh, exposure quarantines happen, like it's not as bad as it was in March of 2020. It's not as bad. It's not as bad. And that's kind of been my mantra throughout all of this. Like it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be Mm -hmm. worse. Even it was really fucking terrible. I was like, it could be worse. Yeah. And I think we still need to acknowledge that it fucking sucks sometimes. still that. Yeah. But we're 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 surviving and thriving with uh developments in our life. Like one of yours is that you were recently elected to your school board. I was. It was very difficult. I was unopposed. That was going to be one of my questions because I don't I don't really know how school board elections work. Like do you have are there opponents or there are there like sometimes like nasty school board elections and like smear campaigns? Does that happen sometimes? Well, I'm sure it does because it happens in other municipal races. I haven't been present for a school board race that's turned nasty. I was, um, I did volunteer on a school board race that was, I guess, contentious, but there was no, like everything was positive. There was no like angry campaigning against someone else or smear campaigns or anything, but it was like a hotly contested race. So when you say contentious, is it like, like, okay, white man wants to like take out all the books that talk about like Rosa Parks or, or, or is it like 
not contentious in that way. Oh, no, no, okay. not contentious in that way. It was more like a matter of styles and experience and, um, you know, opinions about equity and that sort of thing. Though, okay. like our, our town is like pretty progressive. Um, I don't know the numbers, but like they're like, it's probably 60 or 70% registered Democrats. Um, it's more like a matter of like subtleties. There were two seats open this time. Both of us ran on the pose. I was sort of hoping for like a little bit of a fight. Like, yeah, make it interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I feel very strongly about my qualifications and my, you know, positions. And so I was like, I'm ready to defend them. And instead they were like, and something, you know, really sort of tragic happened, which was that the person in my district who held the seat passed away. Um, and it was just after we had um, filed for candidacy. And I was the only person who filed in my district. So I was appointed uh, two months before the election. So I got started a little earlier than I thought I would. Um, and the reason I was appointed, like I said, is because I was the only person to file for candidacy. So I sort of jumped in a little bit early. Now, are you going to run against the person who died or that person was going to vacate the seat anyway? No, it would have been a vacant seat anyway. Okay. She didn't file to, okay. to run again. And she and I had conversations before she passed away, you know, and I let her know I planned to run. She was a huge warrior for equity. She was the only African-American woman on the board. Um, she was a previous school teacher who had this awesome reputation for, you know, teaching real history. Um, and teaching, you know, real concepts, like teaching about equity before equity was a word. She was just a real force. Um, and I was really lucky to be able to sort of, um, step into a legacy that was already established within the district. When I saw you were running, I thought like, God, why would you do that to yourself? (laughs) And I get it. Like there are things when I look at school systems and the system that my, my kid is in and there are things that I think should be fixed and changed. I'm just like, I don't, especially after the last two years, like, I don't know that I could handle that mentally and emotionally, but you, you have, you come, you have, you bring a lot of background that makes you a good fit for something like that. I think so. And the good news is I don't have to be the superintendent who really has the hardest job. Right. And the school board doesn't do like, we have a few jobs. We have, the job to hire and fire the superintendent. We make policy for the district, which is sort of this nebulous area, which could be really active or it could be fairly passive. You know, it kind of depends. And then, you know, overseeing, looking over the budget and making sure that this district remains in good financial health and that kind of thing. But like, I don't go in and tell my kid principal, like, you should be teaching critical race theory. Okay. A very important question. Is this a job? Do you get paid or is this all volunteer? It's all volunteer. Oh, I my think God. maybe we get a per diem, but I don't know. Um, and I think we get like mileage when we go to, you know, conventions and stuff like that. But um, it's true public service. It's true public service. I'm sure it varies by school district, by state, but how much time do you commit each week to the school board? Well, that's a good question. I haven't fully figured that out because I'm still sort of dipping my toe in. And there's a lot of stuff that I want to be doing that I haven't really jumped into yet. But, you know, at a minimum, it's a four-hour meeting every other week. And then we have... Um, a four-hour meeting? Yeah. I mean, hopefully it's three. But we block oh off God. four hours. <laughs> I'm out. I'm done. 
yeah, there's stuff that has to happen. Like we have to approve any contracts over $60,000, you know? So if there's like a new roof being put on somewhere or if we're hiring an agency for special ed teachers, for example, then the district has to, or the board has to approve that. I would rather have a two hour meeting every week than a four hour meeting. I know. I know. Oh, God. I lock myself in the room and then I put, take, turn my camera off when my kids come and say goodnight. Yeah. So there's that meeting. And then we have a meeting of either an audit committee or something called a community review committee. And then I, you know, get emails in between from parents or teachers or community members that I need to respond to in a pretty timely manner. Um, I try to have a meeting with the superintendent so we can talk about what's going on. Um, and then ideally what I'll be doing and what I haven't been doing is meeting with each of the schools and meeting with each of the PTAs. And I have like a community conversation, which is technically run through my campaign. It's not like an official event, but, you know, having community conversations where people can come and say like, here's what I want to see happening in the district. So, I mean, it's as much or as little as you make it. I guess you could just show up to the meeting. Yeah. So the school board is really like a city council of the school district. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Where the where the council members don't get paid. Right. The school district is very lucky to have you. Um, we're going to take a break, and I want to talk about Thanksgiving when we come back. But before we go, what are you wearing? Oh, I'm wearing a t-shirt from Target and some more pants from Target and no shoes. Are they like real pants or are they like sweats? And They're real pants. They're gray jeans. I think you are my first guest who's in real pants. I don't know so why. So congratulations. You are winning at life right now. <laughs> I'm so grown up. I'm wearing gray jeans. Are you wearing a bra? Yeah, I am wearing a bra. Oh my God. But I need a new bra. Like this bra oh. is barely a bra. Oh my God. Okay. You know what? Let's talk about bras before we talk about Thanksgiving when we come okay. back because I need help. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. Sasha, I want to talk about Thanksgiving, but first you I asked you about your bra, and now I have to talk about bras because yeah. I have had the worst fucking time finding bras. I have ordered and sent back and gone to stores and tried on so many bras, and I cannot find a single bra that I like. Well, that's not true. All of my bras that are all stretched out and gross are from Victoria's Secret because that's the only bra I've ever found that I like the way it fits, but I hate giving money to Victoria's Secret. Uh So I'm trying so hard to find a bra and I like cannot find a fucking bra for my strangely shaped body. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Where do you get your bras? So I was getting my, I mean, everywhere. Like I will go into like H&M and be like, I might as well try a bra from here. And then I drop like 20 bucks and it's the worst, but I guess I feel okay about only dropping 20 bucks, except then I drop 20 bucks to like 10 different stores. To try cheap bras. And then you drop 60 and then you're like, oh my God, I've spent $300 on bras and none of them work. Exactly. So I was getting my bras from the ones that I liked from True & Co. Um, But now they just sell on Amazon. Like you can't buy from them. So you just have to buy on Amazon and they have like the weirdest array of sizes. And I'm already kind of a weird size because my boobs have like completely deflated from breastfeeding for six years. And um, so. I need like a bigger band and a smaller cup and it's like Same. impossible to find. I'm a 30. Well, now I'm a, th- I'm like a 36, some people, a B or a C. Yeah. And I'm not like a full C, but yeah. I like overfill my B and I have some back fat because I'm a yeah. human. Right. And I like a thick 
band so I don't get like the side, mm-hmm. uh, like the like the side boob and my armpits. Right. And I can't. And I also be, my boobs are very deflated and they're just they're a they're a like a I don't know how I describe the shape, but they're not like they're not round full breasts. Right. Yeah. Um, and I need a push up. Yeah, same. But it's hard to find a push up with a small cup with a wide band. And I like, don't want a wire. Impossible. Yeah. And I don't even mind a wire if I could find one that didn't give me like uh like sticky out side boob. Yeah, exactly. But I just can't. Like these Victoria's Secret bras are the only ones that I can find and I don't want to give them any more money. I am so close to posting in a mom's group to ask. You know what? I've done that. I've got and I've gotten so many uh suggestions and I've thought this is this is the one. I and I ordered from Third Love and didn't love it like the worst. I'm I've posted in mom groups. I just want I just want a good bra and I I think I'm I am just going to have to break down and go back to Victoria's Secret. Yeah, I mean do it. Like it's worth I mean there's it. a reason they've been around so long and everybody knows them, right? Yeah, totally. I mean it's better than giving your money to Amazon, which is apparently going to be my next step. I mean, yeah, I unfortunately do that more than I like. Anyway, I'm probably just going to have to break down and go back to Victoria's Secret. Uh, well, if anybody has any suggestions, you can um let us know in, in the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group or leave a voicemail at mothermotherpodcast.com because our boobs need the bras, our post-breastfeeding boobs. Like I already had small boobs that weren't round and then I breastfed two kids and now they're just like. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We must have the same boobs. How oh, interesting. Okay. Well, if I ever find a good bra. Well, okay. So Victoria's Secret. Okay. Um, now I know. Sadly. Sadly. All right. Well. Someday. Uh, maybe I'll just go and try them on and I'll be like, okay, great. My boobs look great. I'll buy it again. Here's $200. I'll see you again in two years. Do it. <sighs> I Perfect. Won't. I'll treat myself. Yeah. Even though I don't feel great about it, but you're right. It's better than Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Just always tell yourself that any okay. decision you make. Well, okay. Perfect. So Thanksgiving, talking about love-hate relationships, the good and the bad. Um, I love Thanksgiving. It is my favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. It is, there's no religious aspect. Right. Uh, I love, I love decorating the table. I love hosting. I love the food. I just, I love everything about Thanksgiving weekend, except for uh, its troubling origins. Everything but genocide. Exactly. Everything but genocide and colonization, which sure, I go, sure. uh, you know, my Venn diagram there, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Um, and I, I do a lot of lifestyle writing. And when I, I always try to be like, I love Thanksgiving. Genocide aside, you know, like right. Yeah, uh, I recently wrote a piece for Epicurious uh, about styling the Thanksgiving table because it's a lot of what I do. And I said we're changing the color palette this year. Like, this is a reset. Thanksgiving is now just about having a meal with the people you love, and drinking wine and having fun. And here's a new color palette. And it's like yellows and pinks and oh, cool. amber and deep reds. But uh, I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving. I'm going to come in here mm-hmm. with my like white lady guilt. Mm-hmm. You are a, an indigenous mother, mm-hmm. an indigenous woman. Right. Tell me about your uh, your background. Yeah, totally. So I'm a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, my um you know, membership in the tribe is all matrilineal. Our tribe doesn't require that, but it's, I just, you know, it's important to me um, that my descent is all matrilineal, but I am of course of mixed European and Choctaw heritage. And I, I don't present as traditionally native. So I think that's also important to know, like, as far as my identity comes, I, I don't, calling it traditionally native is like a weird way of saying it, but my like, you know, phenotype or whatever, like I don't get profiled. 
right by the cop okay right so we'll put it that way um so in in like introducing any opinions that i have i think it's important to know that like i don't and you know this, but I don't purport to speak for all indigenous people, nor all Choctaws, right? Like people have widely different opinions. You can read about these, you know, like indigenous chefs approaches to Thanksgiving, like that sort of thing. So anyway, that's my background. And I have three kids and um, I grew up celebrating Thanksgiving. My grandmother, who is Choctaw, like loves Thanksgiving. Really? Yeah. When, um, Ed also would qualify given its troubling past. Um, but and my great grandmother, who was also Choctaw, also loved Thanksgiving. Um I mean it's a great meal and it's a fun dinner party. Yeah. And um <laughs> and my family is assimilated. <laughs> you know, like I mean, there was a lot of assimilation that took place uh around the turn of the century. And so um, you know, they grew up, the men would all go out and hunt squirrel. Um, for Thanksgiving and that would be their Thanksgiving you know protein basically it was was like I guess like fricasseed squirrel I don't know how they cooked it but they ate squirrel meat on Thanksgiving um, and then of course when I was growing up we always had Thanksgiving at my grandparents house and it was always very traditional um, you know turkey and green bean casserole and sweet potato pie and just very sort of straightforward and we would probably have like you know, 40 to 50 people, you know, every like cousin who was like my seventh cousin would come, you know, it was like a family reunion and, um, lots of Choctaws and we said grace and, um, you know, it, it was important. Um, this year we have decided not to celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, we will still have a harvest meal um with friends but we've decided that we're not going to celebrate thanksgiving in the traditional sense and i think like what you're saying with like we're doing revamp like we're changing this it's all about having a meal with your friends it's all about you know drinking wine and having fun those are all things that we're going to do and i i talked to my daughter about this she's like so we're still celebrating thanksgiving we're just not calling it thanksgiving (laughs) You know, I said this on the last episode. Goddamn, kids are really fucking smart these days. I know. It's so <laughs> annoying. They are too smart. But I think that shift for us is important. And, you know, maybe we'll change it around as a family. Like, maybe next year it won't be on Thursday. My husband gets Thursday off, right? It's like one of the only days that Whole Foods is closed. And he's always had to work. And in fact, we both did. When we both worked in grocery, we had to work crazy hours up until Thanksgiving, you got Thanksgiving day off and then you went back and it was kind of quiet. But, um, but you know, it's a day he gets off of work. The food that's coming out of the farmer's market at this time of year is amazing. So of course we're going to have an important meal. And of course we're going to show gratitude. Um, you know, like in Choctaw tradition, the month of like what sort of equates to be November is called big hunger month. So it's sort of the time when you've finished harvesting from the field. There's not a ton more to get from the field. Um, and so the men would go out and hunt deer and then bring it back. And whoever was there, like, you know, at the camp was, even if it was a visitor, like shared in the 
in the spoils, right? Shared in the in the deer meat. Um, and so it's like, I don't know, I always think of it as a real protein heavy time <laughs> where you're really like relying on animal protein to get you through. And like, we luckily have all these like amazing fruits and vegetables that are coming out of the high desert at this time. So we're able to add those to our feast. And then the other part of November is that the month starts out with a celebration of the dead and a remembering of the dead, which is sort of what we do. Like we're Christian, we're Episcopalian. Oh, I remember you saying, I feel like you called yourself a radical Christian when I first yes. met you. And I was like, okay, I can dig that. I'm an atheist, but I can dig that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you mean by radical, right? Like, you know, <laughs> It depends on what you mean. You're the one who said it. I consider myself a radical Christian in that I'm a leftist Christian, right? And that I think like about Jesus flipping over the tables and the temple and that kind of stuff, you know, driving out yeah. the the you know, money changers with yeah. a whip. I mean, I was raised Christian in two different churches. My grandfather was a minister and I've, I studied religion in college and I, uh-huh. I, evangelicals hate when I say this, but I say Jesus would have accompanied someone to an abortion clinic if she needed it. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, the way that we observe the beginning of November is that we observe All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So I feel there's like this overlap, you know, between that. I mean, anyway, that's going to get into some weird like witchy shit. I like witchy shit. (laughs) But the veil is very thin, you know, like around those days. And it does. There is a there is a shift happening in the world with the yeah. weather, like everything, and you're like entering a new season. I will. Well, yeah. I do. I want to do like a witchcraft episode now. Witchy moms. Yeah, I know there are a lot of, a lot out there. I know of all different stripes. But yeah, so you know the month of November is important for sort of celebration and remembering, and and gratitude exists in indigenous cultures all year round. You know, like you're always giving thanks for the animal that you you know, whose life you take in order to feed your family like that. That's critical. You know, it would never it would never happen otherwise. Like you I mean, you would never not. Um, So I think these are all really important things for us to celebrate and memorialize. I just am not sure that I can do it in the name of Thanksgiving anymore. Yeah. It's just hard to uh, rebrand something that is so much a part of our culture. Yeah. It's like I can reset mentally, right. but then I still feel some guilt and awkwardness around just being like, oh, I'm celebrating Thanksgiving, which is why I personally feel like I have to qualify it verbally mm-hmm. or when I'm writing something like, well, I'm celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, if you can, aside from the genocide and colonization, like I right. feel like I have to qualify that because it is, it is problematic. But it is a a time for everyone, whatever you call it, it is a time for everyone to come together and enjoy a meal, but words matter and language matters. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there's, I definitely have some mixed feelings about that, but it, I, it is still undeniably my absolute favorite holiday. Yeah, totally. Well, and I just bought a couple of books and I should have brought them in here. Um, I can shoot you the names later. Yeah, send me an email and I will put them in our show notes. Cool. So that people sounds can- great find them probably on Amazon, but also on Bookshop where we also have affiliate links um, on Bookshop. So you can buy them from independent bookstores. Perfect. Let's pretend like I bought them from Bookshop, Okay, which I do with lots of other books, but for some reason I didn't do with these books. So don't tell, except I just told everyone. It happens. But there are a couple of kids books that are really interesting that sort of talk about the origins and, and the myths that surround it and like what actually happened, right? Like what colonization is like, enslaved indigenous people, enslaved African people, 
you know, like just sort of like a lot of the things that are happening around this time and, and what the meals meant and, you know, what cultural values carried forward in colonized and non-colonized people. And, um, and I would say they're, you know, probably for ages like eight and up, there's a good amount of text. Um, you know, there are of course like things that we can tell our children even younger than that, but, um, but these books in particular. And so my daughter and I, since she's, you know, partially homeschooled are going to go through the book. She already sort of knows like the Thanksgiving is problematic that mom's eye starts to twitch when I hear about, you know, the pilgrims and the Indians, ah. which is another thing about our school system. Our Native American student services are, you know, just totally badasses, but they do a lot of education with teachers and provide a lot of resources. Like this Friday, they're having just like a full kind of resource fair for teachers to go and get materials and learn and um, engage. And so that we don't end up with like, you know, little cutout pilgrims on the walls. Or like feather headdresses, paper feather headdresses. Yeah, exactly. And like super well-meaning people who like feel like they're celebrating indigenous people when they're really celebrating stereotypes. I mean, my high school, my school district was called Fort Osage. We were the Fort Osage Indians. I was on the dance team and we were the Indianettes. Oh my God. Um, in third grade, I missed my powwow because I had the chicken pox and it was like devastating to miss the third grade powwow. Jesus Christ. Um, and I live in Kansas City, so the Chiefs. Yeah. It's weird to see so much of that still perpetuated now. And I know even the school district that's like in the burbs and... Um, they've done some work to try to do more like honoring versus mm -hmm. appropriating. Sure. But it's so ingrained in the culture. Yeah. I mean, like in Kansas City, it's disgusting how many people will still put on like a full feather headdress and like paint their face and paint their chest, just like white dude bros. Yeah. And go do the tomahawk chop. Right. And uh, like, I mean, look, there's there's many conversations to be had about all of this that yeah. don't relate to this podcast right. but um yeah I'm, I'm very familiar with the uh casual appropriation that happens right. in schools as a former indianette right oh god bless you i'm sorry I, okay. I didn't i didn't know <laughs> but now you do because i was taught growing up right like i was growing up right. there was always like some attempt at the educational and appreciation versus appropriation part but it was never it just wasn't good enough Right. Which is so hard for, I mean, it's hard for white students because it brings them up into this way of being that's false. But it's super, super hard for Indigenous students who are already probably invisible. I bet. And I mean, we've seen that here in Santa Fe. We had that when I lived in Oklahoma. We had a, a mock land run every year. Um, you know, and it's just the level of cognitive dissonance that has to exist in indigenous students with like, this is being mocked. I know this is not what I see. And, um, and then like, I have pride in my culture. It's really hard. You know, like my daughter was in school and her very sweet teacher showed them Peter Pan. And I don't know if you remember. Oh, I do. We found a vintage Peter Pan record and my son would play it. And I threw it away one day when he wasn't looking because I talk about the engines. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. why is the red man red? Ugh. And they like smoke this peace pipe. And when yeah. he came home, totally distressed. And she was like, mom, I don't think that's what we are. I don't think that's what native people are. And um, 
I was like, you're right. You know, like that's like super dangerous. And it's just a, a Disney movie that they put on when a substitute comes, you know, like, yeah. um, and, and, and my daughter looks white, you know, like she has blonde hair and blue eyes. And for her to have that level of dissonance, you know, it's so hard for other indigenous students who are, you know, profiled and picked out because of how they look. I know there's a lot that parents can do um, to to kind of re reframe the conversation and raise their kids with more um, appreciation versus appropriation. But Thanksgiving is a great time to kind of start that conversation. Yeah. So what do you wish? And I know, again, you don't speak for all Indigenous people or all Choctaw people. But what do you wish that like white or non-Native, non-Indigenous parents would tell their kids about Thanksgiving this year? Or how do you wish that they would approach Thanksgiving with their children this year? I mean, I think it's a really good time to introduce the the concept of colonization and the concept of um, having one's culture change because of colonization and that indigenous people live and breathe and do amazing things today that we're not just relics of the past. Um, we're not just relics of Thanksgiving. We don't just come around during Native American Heritage Month. Yeah, I'm so glad you're on my Facebook feed every day. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, that like Indigenous people do amazing things every day. Let's talk about what Indigenous people do. And let's talk about the origins of Thanksgiving and how what we celebrate is different than what happened, you know, like to Indigenous people in, in North America in the 17th century. As a member of the school board, I know, and I know this is happening. I see it in mom groups all the time. There are still kids coming home with like construction paper, feather headdresses, and pilgrim hats, knowing what you know as a member of the school board. So having that institutional knowledge, how should a parent best go about addressing this with the school? Go talk to the teacher first and foremost. Okay. And a lot of times that can be addressed, like that takes care of it, right? The teacher didn't know. Here are some more resources. Have resources at your disposal, like just Google it. There's like a thousand resources out there for people to celebrate, you know, Thanksgiving in a culturally sensitive way in a school. Yeah. And here's a stencil for a leaf and you can make construction paper leaf wreaths instead of a fucking headdress. Turkey out of your hand. Yes. But here are some great books. Like there's a new book by Adrian Keene that's like notable, notable native people. And like you could pick one and talk about it. But Go to the teacher first. Okay. If it doesn't work out, if your teacher is like, nope, this is what we do, or this is how I teach kids about Native people, um, is by making them wear headdresses and it's Ugh, an honor. you should not be teaching if you're going <laughs> to. Right. Like, maybe don't. But um, yeah. go to the principal. If it doesn't work out with the principal, go to the superintendent. And if it doesn't work out with the superintendent, go to the school board. Okay. Just keep moving up. I and I, I hope that starts to happen more. I think I do see that that happen. I know we're in some of the same mom groups on Facebook where we'll say, "Oh, my kid came home with this thing, and it's really problematic." Uh, I don't know, like how do I how do I deal with this? So now I, I'm glad that you gave this information. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who are probably afraid. They don't. Want, I, I know teachers right now have been so um, demonized, especially in the, the mask debate, and they've had to deal with so much. So I'm sure there are people who are like, I don't want to stress the teacher any more than they already are. But I think the teacher teachers want to properly educate our children. They want they want to do the right thing. And I think some of them, you're right, just don't know. 
Yeah, they don't. And you're right that I think teachers want to do the right thing. And you're right that they've had a really hard time. I think that you can be kind in your conversation, but like white people tend to avoid conversations because they want to be nice and they want to be polite and they don't want to rock the boat. And in doing so, they're actively harming indigenous populations. Mm -hmm. And so I think like keeping that in mind, like if I don't do this, like an indigenous kid is going to get hurt. Yeah. And um, keeping that in mind as you talk to a teacher, doing it in a kind way, acknowledging what a hard time they have, but understanding like indigenous kids have been through so much in the last 20 months and that you could be really like saving a life. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that. That's really great advice. What about, um, I know you can give books to the teachers. Can you, as a, a civilian, as a parent, just donate books to a school library or does it have to go through some sort of process? How does that work? Well, it depends on the librarian, but most likely if you're donating new books, then a librarian would gladly take them. Okay. So they don't have to go through some like approval process or whatever to be brought into a, a school library. I mean, I don't think so. Our amazing librarians that I've seen order the books that the kids need and want. If parents, especially white parents, want to do something this Thanksgiving that could have a meaningful impact, um, check out the show notes of this episode. You're going to recommend some books and I'm going to put them in the show notes. And parents could buy these books yep, and then donate them to their school. Yeah, library. totally. Like, hey, buy two. I love that. I think that should be like a mother, mother movement. I love it. Mothers, mother, mothers, like buy these books, use the affiliate link so that I can hire an editor, please. Um, <laughs> buy these books and then donate them to your kid's school's library. Yeah. Buy two, donate to your kid's classroom library and your kid's school library. I love that we have these like actionable items. This see, you're somebody who gets shit done. You are like, <laughs> you you're getting shit done. I love it. I'm doing nothing. You're doing all of it. I appreciate you. You are educating us, which I know that is a burden that falls to um, non-white people to educate white people all the time. But I really appreciate you coming here and um, sharing how your family celebrates or doesn't oh, celebrate Thanksgiving and also educating me. I'm so glad to have you on right now because you are you have the institutional knowledge of how the school works. And as an indigenous woman, an indigenous parent, uh, you, you've given like the best advice for thanks uh, for our mother mothers here. There's so many people who give better advice than me, but I appreciate that my low level of advice has met your standards. So I think thanks. it's great. I don't want to like <laughs> overdo it on like really high level, hard to achieve. You know, we we are all really fucking tired. Like, don't make us work yeah. too hard here. A hundred percent. Those of us who can afford it, we can buy a book and donate it. Like, we can do that. Sasha, thank you so, so much for coming on Mother Mother. Um, is there anywhere that you like people to follow you on the internet or do you not want that? You can kind of check me out. Like the, my more public persona is the school board persona, right? So Sasha for SFPS on Instagram with four spelled out F-O-R. Um, my website is Sasha for SFPS.com. You can find out more about me there. Um, and you can also find me at, shockingly, Sasha for SFPS on Facebook as well. Thank you so, so much. It's been so great talking to you and seeing your face, even though our system's a little frozen and you're a little, uh, like, for, I, I can hear you, but it's like pixelated and frozen a little bit, but oh, I'm, I'm imagining sorry. your facial expressions right thank now. You. Same, uh, th same. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you. Okay, as promised, I compiled Sasha's list of recommended kids books and dropped links to them in the show notes and at the page for this episode at mothermotherpodcast.com. And while Thanksgiving is a great time to donate books about Indigenous people to your school's library and your kid's classroom and 
for your own house even, you can do it any time of the year. So if you hear this episode for the first time after Thanksgiving, do not let that stop you. Um, so there's a list on the Mother Mother Amazon shop and the Mother Mother Bookshop shop, uh, which are both, uh, they're both linked in the show notes. And if you don't know, Bookshop supports independent bookstores and not Jeff Bezos. Um, remember, when you buy books off of either list, you are supporting the show, which right now is still very much a very time-consuming labor of love. But there are plenty of ways to support the show that don't involve spending money. And honestly, the best thing you can do is just tell your mom friends about it on social media or in real life. Please also subscribe and rate and review Mother Mother on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The more people listen, the more time I can spend creating great episodes for you. Thank you so much for listening to Mother Mother. If you want to continue the conversation, you can join us in the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired because you know we are. You can always find more information about the show, my guests, and the people and products mentioned on every episode at mothermotherpodcast.com, where you can also leave me a voicemail. And thank you to my two friends who have done that so far. I'll be back next Tuesday, hopefully without this damn cold, with another episode of Mother Mother. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Our theme song, Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham, is performed by the amazing Jocelyn McKenzie with Harry Bowles. Bye. Mother Mother.